0: We're always interested in supporting these patient advocate group foundations um, from the ground. Um, Quite often we're brought in for education, so they will run education days for physicians or for patients, so quite often we're brought in to really try and reduce the confusion around transfusion therapy and when it might be appropriate for patients to receive um, a red blood cell exchange versus other transfusion therapy.
1: Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast, I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. Today we'll be talking about transfusion medicine, and more specifically, we'll be looking at therapeutic plasma exchange and red blood cell exchange. My guests are Carly Newton and Lori Hirata, and they both work at Turumo Blood and Cell Technologies. We're going to discuss their backgrounds in nursing and how that led them to Turumo, and then we'll talk all about therapeutic plasma exchange and red blood cell exchange and how these techniques lead to better outcomes for patients. All right, here are Carly Newton and Lori Harada. Before we get into what Tarumo what blood and cell technologies does, I want to kind of get a, a little bit of background on each of you just so for a little bit of uh, context, I guess. So we'll start with you, Carly. Can you tell me, like, how did you get started as a nurse and then uh, and then we'll kind of lead into how you got started working in blood cell uh, red blood cell exchange.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I'm an ICU nurse. I'm back from working in Australia. I was drawn to that ICU environment um, basically the complexity of the environment. so managing systems such as dialysis machines, blue pumps, ventilators, ECMO machines, um, that's what really drew me into the ICU world. You know, the other thing I really enjoyed and grew from with ICU was really, you know, the complex procedures, but then seeing the patient outcomes from that. So, you know, very early on, um, when I got into nursing university in Australia, I was really drawn to that ICU environment.
1: And so that how, I guess, how, how long were you, were you a nurse in the ICU? And then and then you kind of got out of that into red blood cell exchange.
0: Yeah. So I was a nurse. So in Australia, uh, you generally do a three year undergraduate program to be a registered nurse. And then I spent another two years doing postgraduate studies to become an ICU nurse. So I worked in ICU for about eight or nine years. Um, and it was great. I loved it. I think, You know, there's no better privilege than, you know, helping people through some of the worst days of their lives. You know, it's just such a, it's such a great environment, but I was always drawn to education every time the graduate nurses came through, I'd always be the first one to stick my hand up and educate. So I always had this underlying passion for educating people and helping people become better advocates for themselves as well. And so really, just by chance, a recruiter reached out to me about an opportunity in Turumo, Australia as a clinical specialist. And I guess the rest is history. You know, I applied and have been on this great journey ever since with apheresis. I think, you know, not being an apheresis nurse prior to joining Turumo, you know, my skill set of ICU nursing and being able to troubleshoot machines and optimize procedures, I really picked up the apheresis forte and then I was really lucky you know to spend thousands of hours in hematology um neurology clinics across the world you know just talking to neurologists hematologists patients you know about you know their treatments and you know to nurses and doctors about how they've been optimizing treatments as well so that's kind of my journey to where I am today
1: Okay. I see That's interesting. That's an interesting story. All right. uh, So then Lori, how about you? Because you're, you're also a nurse. So uh, can you tell me like, how did you get started uh, in that field as well?
2: Well, I've been a nurse for about 40 years now. Yes. I started when I was 12 and uh, (laughs) um, I started, I had a similar pathway as Carly. When I was in nursing school, I actually was lucky enough to get a student nurse job in the ICU while I was a student nurse. So when I got out of nursing school, I had a job in the ICU. Now, it was just a general ICU. It wasn't anything special in my little hometown in Missouri. Then I moved from my hometown to the big city of St. Louis, Missouri, (laughs) and um, went into open heart intensive care. And I was in open heart for quite a while before I moved to apheresis Now, how did I make that jump? Well, it's it's kind of a, a sad story. My brother developed a tumor in his heart, and he came to my open heart intensive care unit to be operated on. And I got to know his oncologist very well, obviously, and after my brother passed, the oncologist came to me and said, hey, will you start my apheresis department for me? And I said, sure. I don't know anything about it. Why not? And so I started the apheresis department back in the late 80s in St. Louis at St. Louis University Hospital and started from the ground up, learned it on the previous generation devices that are now obsolete, but kind of grew into it. And then I had an opportunity to go into industry and work for another medical device company in the 90s. And from there, I worked there for about 11 years. And then I decided to go out on my own and consult on new product development and training. And so I had my own consulting business for about 10 years. Then I moved out here to Colorado and it was kind of at a time when people weren't hiring consultants anymore for that kind of thing. So I applied to Rumo and they saw my background and created a kind of a contractor position for me to begin with. And then it kind of grew from there. And now I'm the manager of 12 specialists across the United States that we train people on um, apheresis, whether it's in the hospital for therapeutic procedures or in the blood center collecting platelets from donors. So it's kind of the whole gamut of apheresis, whether it's patients or donors.
1: Okay. That's, that's an interesting story also. And it, it sounds like for both of you, like you really didn't have, like almost you, you ended up in the, in this field sort of by accident. Like you didn't, you weren't looking for it. And, uh, it just kind of just kind of happened like you were in the right place at the right time does that does that sound accurate
2: you're actually right dennis that's exactly what happened to me it was the right place at the right time and my whole career has kind of been that way and the thing about nursing is you have lots of opportunity to do many things in nursing whether it's bedside nursing icu nursing school nursing or or doctor's office nursing there's so many things and an in industry You can get into many different avenues that a nurse can um, provide additional knowledge and support.
0: Yeah, I think that's right, Laurie. And anybody that talks to me, any of the younger, um, I've got nieces and nephews just finishing high school now, they talk to me about nursing as a career, and I just can't recommend it more. I've lived in three different countries being a nurse, you know, and I think what was really interesting for me is I just always said I'd be hands-on, I was drawn to that ICU environment, but moving into industry, I was actually, um, I did what Laurie did in Singapore and I, I had clinical specialists that would go out and train um, physicians and operators on how to use our technology and optimise procedures. And You know, since then, I've transitioned into more of a commercial role now, so I'm looking at getting better access of these procedures to patients. So, you know, when you look at nursing, you know, there are just so many different options, even within industry, you know, to patient care, to government and health policy, and I just think it makes you a really sensible person that can make good, quick decisions on the ground. And, you know, I think that's why nurses are so successful in other careers, just, you know the the training you get and the skill set you get talking to patients and families, I just think it's you know huge.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, I, th- I think I can understand that. That make- that makes a lot of sense. So then, okay. all right. So you, so we mentioned Terumo uh, at, at the beginning, and you both work for Terumo Blood and Cell Technologies now. So let's kind of get into this company a bit. Like, I guess we'll start off like like what is it? And does what, what does it do?
0: You know, Terumo Blood and Cells Technologies we're a medical device company. And we really believe that getting the most out of blood. So our products, our software and our services enable customers to really collect and um, prepare blood and cells to help treat challenging diseases and conditions. So, you know, we've got machines like we're going to talk today about red blood cell exchange and therapeutic plasma exchange. That's done on one of our systems that can do therapeutic procedures and collect blood cells. Then we've got um, other devices uh, that, you know, can expand cells as well. You know, we've got software solutions to help make the, the stem cell process, you know, easier and more streamlined. So, you know, we really believe in producing products and services that can help blood and cells treat challenging diseases and get better
1: outcomes for patients. So Laurie, let's go back to you then. So you work specifically in therapeutic plasma exchange. And I wonder can you give sort of an overview of what that is and then let's get into like some conditions where this is used.
2: So therapeutic plasma exchange is where we take a patient's blood and put it into a centrifuge, which is like a glorified cream separator that separates the blood by specific gravity. And the heaviest cells, the red cells, the white cells, the platelets, they separate out. And the plasma lifts up to the top. And we remove the plasma off and replace it with fresh plasma or albumin, which is a plasma derivative. When we remove the plasma, we're taking out the disease mediator that is potentially causing the symptoms for that disease. Now, you ask what kind of diseases? multiple kinds of diseases that can be treated with plasma exchange. The American Society for Apheresis puts out guidelines to treat diseases every three years. They're getting ready to release one this year. And in general, they're either neuromuscular diseases that are causing neuromuscular conditions, they're hematologic disorders that are something wrong with the blood that we're going to take the disease mediator out, or it could be an autoimmune disease that we're treating. I can't talk specific diseases, but those are the general categories of the types of diseases that therapeutic plasma exchange is used for.
1: Because it's a kind of exchange of you know a component of blood, the plasma. I wonder, are there any sort of myths about the use of this procedure?
2: Dennis, there are a lot of myths that we fight on a daily basis because um, people don't understand about plasma exchange and. And how to perform plasma change. This is a, what we call a continuous flow procedure, meaning we're taking blood off, we're separating, we're giving back the good stuff and then mixing in with the fresh stuff. And it's all happening at the same time. So it's this continuous flow. Therefore, there's, there's some things that people think it's unsafe. Well, it's very safe. This has been around for probably 40, 50 years, actually. And it's and it's been improved over the years with the new technology. Um, another myth is that you have to use a central line. Now, if you don't know what a central line is, it's um, a big catheter put either in your neck or your chest, and it goes directly into your main blood vessels in your body, in your central blood vessels. And it's a, it's a surgical procedure that they have to go under anesthesia or some sort of local anesthesia to get this placed where you don't have to do that. If you've got good veins in your arms, this procedure can be done peripherally, which is our big campaign is you don't have to put a central line in. You can do this peripherally and also We can do it with just one vein because we have a single needle option for both plasma exchange and red cell exchange. We can do single needle, which makes it very convenient for patients to come in, have one arm stuck and have their procedure done with a a single needle. The other myth that we hear about is that this takes a long time. It takes all day long to do this procedure. And that's not true either. It's maybe an hour and a half to two hours at the most, and you come in, you get your procedure done, and you go home. It's, it can be done on an outpatient basis. Now, there are acute settings that we do this procedure in, in hospitals acutely, but in a chronic condition, such as maybe a chronic neuromuscular disease, they can come into an outpatient setting and... Get their procedure done in a couple of hours and be on their way. It's it's really easy. So convenience, it's safe. It can be done peripherally. Those are all the big myths that that we hear all the time from both patients and physicians that don't truly understand what what therapeutic plasma exchange is.
1: So then, re- regarding these myths, I mean, it, it's great to talk about it out of here. But how do you like on a day to day basis, I guess, or, or, you know, on your on the job kind of thing? How do you combat those myths? Is it just like educational materials or something like that?
2: Education, We, we educate the nurses, we educate the physicians, we also provide patient education, we have pamphlets that can be handed out to patients that talk about plasma exchange and explain what plasma exchange is so that they come in informed. I think the best patient is an informed patient. And if they understand what the procedure they're getting is, then they can ask the right questions. Like, why can't you do this in my arm? I have this really great vein right here. Or asking the right questions when their physician doesn't really know all the details.
1: Okay, I see it. That makes sense. All right, Carly, let's go back to you then. Now, your work is in red blood cell exchange, which we, we already mentioned. So how about, uh, can we get sort of kind of an overview of what that means? And then I want to get into conditions where where that's used.
0: Yeah, well, Laurie did a great job explaining what plasma exchange is. It's the c- continuous flow through our mm-hmm. obvious system. And when the blood separates in that centrifuge, what we actually do is we divert the red cells up into a remove bag and then we simultaneously replace with healthy donor RBC cells. So, you know, instead of um, removing the plasma like a plasma exchange, we're removing the red cells and replacing with um, donor red cells. So we do red cell exchanges for to remove defective or infected red cells and replace them with healthy donor cells. So one of the um, most common ways we use this red cell exchange is for a disease called sickle cell disease. And so red blood cell exchange is a type of transfusion therapy that can be used to treat patients with sickle cell disease. And when we look at treating sickle cell patients with transfusion therapies, the aim is to actually provide healthy donor cells, and increase the oxygen-carrying capacity of red blood cells for these patients. Um, And the reason why that actually helps, because when you look at sickle cell disease, it's an inherited disease that mainly affects people with African or Middle Eastern heritage. And these patients have this type of red blood cell called hemoglobin S. And so hemoglobin S actually has a much shorter lifespan than normal red blood cells. And so it leaves the patients in this chronic state of anemia. But what makes this, you know, disease more challenging to treat is the fact that these um, hemoglobin S cells also sickle, okay, so they become rigid. And so when you look at a healthy red cell, they're round, they're flexible and they're designed or they're actually made to be able to go through small vessels to be able to oxygenate um, your peripheries and all of your organs what happens with these sickle cells is they become really rigid and they can cause blockages, and these blockages can lead to pain crisis, you know, stroke, vaso-occlusive crisis. And so, you know, the goal of transfusion therapy is to actually increase the oxygenation of the um, red cells for the patient. When we look at what red cell exchange is, uh, basically, unlike other transfusion therapy options, red blood cell exchange, because we're removing red cells simultaneously as we're replacing with them, there's some advantages to that than other transfusion therapies on the market. And, you know, one of the big things with red cell exchange as a transfusion therapy is it's what we call an iron neutral therapy. So with other therapies, because you're infusing red cells back into the patient and you're not removing them, it actually increases the iron levels with these patients. So they need to be on iron chelation therapy. Um, if you don't remove that iron and they're walking around with increased levels of iron, it can cause some serious damage to their organs and whatnot. Okay. The other thing red cell exchange is advantageous for is the fact that it can, you can actually put in specific and run targets. So you can actually enter a hematocrit or a desired hemoglobin S level. You want that patient at the end of the procedure. And what that means is the patient, it doesn't increase the viscosity or the thickness of the blood. And because of that, it reduces the risk of um, stroke, these vaso-occlusive crisis as well. The um, other advantage of red blood cell exchange to other therapies is it can be done less frequently because we can be much more aggressive where where we target the procedure for these patients as well. And then I guess, you know, another uh, benefit of red blood cell exchange is it's a much quicker procedure than other transfusion therapy options. So, you know, just to recap, you know, what I've sort of said about red cell exchange is the fact that you know, all transfusion therapies are there to increase oxygenation of the red cells and to to provide healthy donor cells for these sickle cell patients. Red blood cell exchange can be more advantageous for um, these patients because of the fact that, you know, it's an iron-neutral therapy um, and that it's quicker as
1: well. Now you, you mentioned that the uh, frequency of, of having this done, like do you, what, what – what... I guess, what, what would be the frequency of how often someone with sickle cell disease would have to get uh, a red blood cell exchange?
0: You know, it really depends where they are on their um, chronic management. And I think the great okay. thing about red blood cell exchange is that it's an individualized procedure. So you, your physician will, can actually prescribe the red blood cell exchange to make sure that you're using the least amount of blood possible, you know, to get the benefits of red cell exchange. So when you look at um, how long between exchange treatments, it's anywhere from about four to six weeks, depending on the patients. Other transfusion therapies, like simple transfusion, where you're just getting the infusion of red cells, or what we call an, a um, manual exchange, is where they will you know, infuse the red cells and then manually bleed some cells out, so you don't get as much of an increase in iron overload. You know, the frequency of those um, procedures can be anywhere from two to four weeks. One of the benefits that we hear patients talk about if they move from other transfusion therapies to red cell exchange is the fact that they visit the hospital less frequently and that the procedure is actually a much quicker procedure than
1: the other transfusion therapy options. Okay, I see that. That sounds like two huge benefits for the patients. Yeah, yeah. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guests, Carly Newton and Lori Harada. We'll be right back. If you're trying to understand the ever-changing world of digital pathology and image analysis, there's a new course that can help you, Pathology 101 for Tissue Image Analysis. Now, this course was created by Dr. Alexandra Zuroff, who you might remember from episode 53 of this podcast. She also writes the Digital Pathology Place blog and hosts the Digital Pathology podcast. Pathology 101 for Tissue Image Analysis aims to bridge the gap between computer science and pathology and explains some of the complicated concepts in image analysis. You can sign up for this course by following the link in the show notes. LabVine is an interactive online learning platform where laboratory professionals learn, develop, and discover by sharing knowledge and building on each other's experience. The platform provides global access to internationally accredited laboratory-specific courses and other resources developed by lab specialists like us for the laboratory industry. Labvine is free to sign up, and you can use the link in the show notes to get started. Now, for the rest of my conversation with Lori Hirata and Carly Newton on the People of Pathology podcast. All right. Now, what about uh, myths for red blood cell exchange are Are there are there some that that you'd like to mention?
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, the biggest thing is that all transfusion therapies are not the same. You know, we just talked a bit briefly about what simple transfusion is to manual exchange, to red cell exchange. They're all very different. And, you know, it's really about advocating for patients to ask questions to see which transfusion therapy will work best for them. So that's sort of the first overarching um, myth. But then when we go and educate physicians, clinicians, and patients, we really look at five big myths with red cell exchange. And the first one is that red blood cell exchange is only for acute patients. And that's just not true. So Laurie talked before about, you know, we can do these procedures peripherally just with one needle. They're very safe. There's a lot of safety data by the World Aphoresis Association of just about how safe these procedures are. And the American Society for Aphoresis and the American Society for Hematology actually um, recommend red cell exchange for sickle cell patients for several chronic and acute sickle cell events as well. The second one is that red blood cell exchange puts patients at risk for iron overload. So, you know, we did talk about that, you know, these procedures are done less frequently, but it yeah. may require more blood. Um, so, overall, you won't necessarily be getting more blood over a 12 month period, but you may be getting more blood per um, red cell exchange than a simple transfusion. And so there's this myth that because you, you know, you, you may be exchanging more red cells at once that it's going to increase your iron levels. And that's not true because as we're removing those red cells to the remove bag, Um, we're replacing at the same time. So it will um, not increase your um, iron levels. The third one we get is that red blood cell exchange is costly and inconvenient. And the reality is that, you know, it's shown potential cost savings for patients on a long-term red cell program compared to other transfusion therapies. And that's because a red cell exchange therapy Negates the need for iron chelation therapy, and there's lots of studies out there that actually show that um, that you know red cell exchange actually reduces occlusive crisis and other other acute episodes that red cell um, sickle cell patients sorry uh, would usually that could be admitted to hospital for. So you know the fact that red blood cell exchange negates the need for therapy and it's gotten less hospital admissions actually shows that it can be cost-saving to a hospital as well. The fourth one is that red blood cell exchange always increases patients' allo-immunisation risk. And so when we talk about, yeah, allo-immunisation, this is really interesting, right, because um, for those people that don't know that Alloimmunization immunisation is it's an immune response to foreign antigens um, from other, you know, humans. So you can get it during pregnancy or blood transfusion. And so what happens is your body will actually make um, antibodies, you know, um, against these antigens. And what actually happens is you don't want this to happen because it actually you have to actually be very selective then with what with what red cells can be transfused. And so. Um, there was this there's a myth out there that because we do exchange more units at once that it would increase the allo immunization of patients and you know there's been several studies out there with sickle cell patients receiving um, chronic transfusion therapy that the rate of antibody formation for those treated with red blood cell exchange compared to those treated with simple transfusion was actually lower. And then the last one is that red blood cell exchange causes hyperviscosity. And the reality is that because we can enter those end-run targets of either hematocrit or hemoglobin S, we can actually determine where we want to lead that patient, if we want to lead them, you know, with a little higher hematocrit, a little lower hematocrit. But because we've got the ability with our machine to accurately and consistently Get the patients to where we want them at the end of the procedure. It won't cause hyperviscosity and increase that risk of stroke or vasoocclusive crisis. So that's what we spend a lot of time educating physicians um, and patients and clinicians mm-hmm. for um, out in the
1: field. I see. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like there's a lot of educating that you have to do for. Th- that's many myths, and I think it it probably takes a lot of time to to educate people about that.
0: Yeah, and it's quite confusing and especially for patients as well. We do a lot of work with patient advocacy groups and what we want to do is be able to empower patients to ask the right questions about their um, disease treatment to be able to get the best outcomes for them. And, you know, maybe red blood cell exchange is not the therapy for every patient, but we really want to try and reduce the confusion about not all transfusion therapies the same, and that, you know, if you're, for instance, you're ha- you're not tolerating chelation therapy well, so you're not going in to, you know, get your regular transfusions as a sickle cell patient as frequently as you should because of the adverse events, maybe red cell exchange, you know, is a good option for you. So, you know, we spend a lot of time with physicians, you know, more on those clinical sites, but really educating patients around you know, the different types of transfusion therapies available for them and help educate them on the questions they should be asking their physicians about their treatment plans as well.
1: Okay. Well, you mentioned patients. Let's let's talk about patients for a little bit. Now, so Laurie, what would be some of the most important things for the patients to know about therapeutic plasma exchange?
2: I think one of the most important things to know is that it can be done peripherally. You don't have to have a central line to... Um, perform this procedure. And either plasma exchange or red cell exchange can be done peripherally. And I think that's an important um, piece of information that patients need to be aware of. They also should ask their physician what their options are for the treating of their disease, because there are many different options. Plasma exchange might be one, Other options might be there, but it's important that they're educated and they understand what their options are. Carly, do you have anything else to add to that?
0: No, I think that's, you know, that that can be done safely, like you said, peripherally as well, that they're the big ones for patients as well, Um, and that, you know, it doesn't take a long time as well. You know, some patients are like, you know, I don't want to go and spend a whole day in hospital, and that's just not the case with TPE.
2: there's there's another um, another thing, yeah. uh, item that a patient should know about is that not all plasma exchanges are the same. The way our device performs plasma exchange is by centrifugation of the blood into its different components. There's another option that's called membrane separation. And typically membrane separation requires a central line. It takes a lot longer and it's not as efficient as centrifugal separation where we can do this peripherally and we can get it done in under two hours, hopefully, depending on what the orders are, obviously. But knowing that there are options to different types of plasma exchange and knowing what those differences are.
1: Okay. I, I see. That makes sense. Uh, I, I can understand the, the time factor. I mean, I, yeah, nobody would want to spend all day in the hospital. So that, no. that makes a lot of sense. It was just a couple hours. Uh, Carly, is there anything like specific to red blood cell exchange that, that patients should know? Uh,
0: yes. Yeah, so I guess, you know, the big thing about red cell exchange is that it can be done peripherally. like, And we keep talking about that because there is you know, this myth myth out there that you're going to need a big catheter or a big port inserted. And the thing is that technicians are getting so skilled and upskilling themselves to be able to use ultrasound machines to um, do these procedures that, you know, we've got sickle cell disease um, programs out there that are using red blood cell exchange and doing a 90 to 95% peripheral rate. So that's the first thing. The other things that we would like patients to understand about red cell exchanges, that it's a safe procedure and i mean our machine you know it's a fairly sizable machine that sort of comes up to your hip i'm about five foot six and it comes up to my hip um and it it does look a little intimidating the first time you see it but in reality the amount of blood in your body and outside of your body doesn't change by about um less than a can of cola. So I'm Australian, I talk mils, so it's less than 200 mils of blood outside your body at any time. So even though it does look intimidating, you know, it's a very safe procedure. Actually, the biggest adverse event of red cell exchange is related to catheters. And so, you know, if you're doing peripheral, it takes the um, likelihood of even a small adverse event coming out or happening as well. So it's safe, it can be done quickly as well. You know, um, we talked about the times of red blood cell exchange to um, other transfusion therapy options. And, all, and red blood cell exchange procedure can be done in generally about 86 to about 120 minutes. Whereas other transfusion oh. therapies, you're looking at about 120 to about 360 minutes um, if you're doing a um, simple transfusion or manual exchange. And I think, you know, for patients, the other thing I want to know is let them know is that, you know, there's some great patient advocacy groups out there that can help educate them um, on their disease and their disease options. And at Terumo, we actually have a patient website. We're really passionate about patients asking the right questions and their physician to help manage their disease and any complications that come from that disease. So if they head to um, reach drrumo-bct.com, there's actually some great references that educate people about the different transfusion therapies available, the different vascular access options, and really questions to ask your physician to, to find out more if red blood cell exchanges is, is right for you.
1: Okay. Okay. All right. Yep. And I'll, I'll include links in the show notes to to the, the sites that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, so, All right. So Laurie, for you, what what do you find most rewarding about working in this field?
2: Seeing a patient get better. The thing about plasma exchange is it's performed in a lot of acute settings where the patient is in distress and maybe they can't form words. Maybe they can't walk. There's a lot of distress. And seeing a patient come out of a treatment or in the middle of a treatment, start speaking or start talking to you and, and improve their welfare just by doing one treatment, whether it's plasma exchange or red cell exchange, either one of these treatments, we see changes in patients and it's very rewarding. The other thing that's rewarding to me as an educator is I love teaching. Just like Carly said, we love to teach and seeing the light come on in a nurse's eye that they understand how this device works and how it can be beneficial to a patient. If we can help spark that in a nurse, that they get excited about treating patients then we're treating more patients, which is the whole point,
1: right? That I, I love that. That's a great message, and that that does sound that would like that would be very rewarding. Also, now, Carla, you mentioned a little bit ago that you, the working with the patient advocacy groups, and now this is something that you're you're very involved with, and it sounds like that would be rewarding as well. Can you tell me about that work?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, patient advocate groups are important in so many ways. You know, they advocate for people. Affected by sickle cell conditions, they raise public awareness about sickle cell disease, and they even um, invest in advance the search for a universal cures to sickle cell disease. So they're just so fundamentally important, you know, to help support patients and their families and caregivers with sickle cell disease. And so we're always interested in supporting these patient advocate group foundations um, from the ground um, Quite often we're brought in for education, so they will run education days for physicians or for patients, so quite often we're brought in to really try and reduce the confusion around transfusion therapy and when it might be appropriate for patients to receive um, a red blood cell exchange versus other transfusion therapy. You know, we've provided grants um, in the past for sickle cell disease patient advocate groups. You know, we've, we've provided grants for sickle cell disease testing for communities, um, educational pamphlets um, to distribute to their patients if they've got more questions about um, sickle cell disease. So I think the main thing is that we, we, we're we very committed to helping these patient organisations because we understand how important they are. And if you've got any questions about partnering with Terumo, with your sickle cell advocacy group, head to terumabct.com and head to contact us and we'd love to hear from you it's one of our passions
1: that's great that's great i love that yeah uh, that's that's a, a, another good message i guess two two really great messages and uh just focusing on the patients and improving their quality of life that's you know that's that's why we're all here all right, yeah. so last question then for, for both of you, I guess. Mm-hmm. You talked a little bit about the kind of the technologies and the uh, medical devices that you use. And I'm curious if you see any important advances coming in this field in, in kind of the near future.
2: There are some advances coming in the near future. I can't talk about them speci- in specific, but in generalities, I can talk about them. And those are... okay. So it's the use of columns and filters with Plasma Exchange to remove specific items in the plasma. And then you give the plasma back instead of replacing it, you give it back. So it's called selective removal where something in the plasma is causing the issue and that column or that filter is targeting that particular issue. Whether it's a immunoglobulin or an antibody or something, they're developing columns and filters that do this selective removal. It's being uh, looked at in other world areas right now. It's in trials, not here yet in the United States. We're hoping to get it soon because it's really exciting um, in the future.
1: Yeah, I like that. That does sound very exciting. Super interesting. Okay. Uh, Carly, what about you?
0: Uh, so advances in red cell exchange, um, you know, in, we recently bought out a single needle option for red cell exchange, which we're hearing great feedback from patients. You know, it means um, they've gone from having to go in and spend about a hundred minutes on the machine with two needles in their arms to being able to, you know, have one arm free to text, you know, um, and do things like that. So, you know, we've um, Recently, bought out that we've also recently updated our red cell exchange app um, at Turimo BCT, and what we've actually done is we've um, updated it to allow physicians and clinicians to be able to more individually prescribe red cell exchange and be, um, really be able to order blood in the most efficient way. So. They're the two things we've done with the red cell exchange protocol um, for advancements in the last um, couple of years at Terumo, BCT. I think, um, you know, as far as sickle cell disease as a whole, you know, there's some great advances on the horizon. There's some pharmaceutical options, you know, for um, these patients that are coming to market. There's also the cell engine therapy. So there's stem cell transplants. And there's also gene therapy that's, you know, coming on the horizon. And I think the exciting thing about that is that there's this optimism around that, you know, there may be a cure at some stage for sickle cell disease. But, you know, what we want people to remember is that, you know, you don't want people to get to the stage where they're eligible, they're eligible for a um, stem cell transplant or some sort of gene therapy. And they've had years of just... Uh, iron overload in their bodies and you know their organs aren't functioning as well as they should. So we believe that even with some of these, you know, new therapies on the horizon and potentially some curative, that red blood cell exchange can also be used and should be used as an adjacent therapy to keep these patients as healthy as possible before, you know, they get to those transplants. So they're just a couple of, you know, the things we've done and some of the software we've put out as a company to advance red blood cell exchange and What's sort of on the horizon for sickle cell patients
1: as a whole? Okay, that's great. It sounds like the, this the overall uh, future for for the field like this is is really exciting, and there's going to be some great advancements. And it's it sounds like you know you're going to be helping a lot more patients and potentially cure them. So that's that's all great news. Yeah.
2: That's our goal, uh, Dennis, is to help more patients get this therapy.
1: Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That's great. That's great. All right. I, I, so uh, Carly Lori, this was a really exciting conversation. I really appreciate uh, getting to know a little bit more about both of you, getting to know what Terumo does and kind of the exciting technologies that are coming in the future. So uh, Carly Newton and Lori Harada, thank you both very much.
2: Thank you so much, Dennis. It's great to talk with you. Yes. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks for having us on your show.
1: If you're looking for another episode of the People of Pathology podcast to check out after this one, here's a clip from my interview with Dr. Stephanie Stallis as she talks about her interest in transfusion medicine. The fellowship then, this was in transfusion medicine. Yes. Okay, now where did this interest come from?
3: Well, I hope this doesn't sound strange, but I think blood is fascinating. It's cool, okay. and it has a mysterious side to it, it has a practical side to it, it has an operational side to it, and even a foodie side to it. I'm a foodie, I hope that doesn't sound gross, and I'll, I'll explain that a
1: little bit. Yeah, but, we're going to have to we'll have to talk about that.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, so I teach transfusion medicine um, at a medical school in Texas, and in that I start, I have to build up into transfusion medicine. I just don't start doling out the doses of different cellular products. And I talk about the mystique of blood has a mystique about it. It, it, is, uh, it is thought to bring life to people. It's a youthful force. And we even build horror movies, vampires, and that kind of mystique around it. Mm-hmm. And it has a very practical pharmaceutical nature to it. You know, quite simply, if you're lacking something, the tendency is to want to give that back in the form of a transfusion of the product and that which you're lacking. But being in transfusion medicine, as I found when I was in the fellowship, is that it is very interesting in that it provides discussion points and ways to strengthen operational efficiencies inside a hospital system.
1: You can hear more from Dr. Stephanie Stallis in episode 76. Great big thanks to Lori Harada and Carly Newton. I enjoyed hearing about their work with Terumo, and honestly, this is an area that I don't know a whole lot about, so I really learned a lot from talking with them for this episode. And I love the fact that their main message is, you know, they're, they're patient-focused, and they're trying to provide better therapies for patients to improve uh, patient outcomes and just their quality of life. And of course, their work with patient advocacy groups, that's very admirable as well. And if you're listening and you want to get involved with something like that, you can check out the websites that I think it was Carly that mentioned it during the episode. And of course, I'll have that linked in the show notes, as well as links to everything else that we talked about today. You can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at People with Path, or just connect with me on LinkedIn. Thanks for continuing to share the show with others. Together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. You can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network. And while you're there, check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Dennis Strank, and I'll talk to you next time on the People of Pathology Podcast.